Blog Talk Radio. The following program is intended for mature audiences. Go ahead. 
I just seen that. It, I, I guess uh, I seen Eclipse like ten million dollars or something like that. He's now up to seventeen million dollars. Wow! Wow! Yeah. So there's a guy who I follow on Twitter. His uh, name's Joey X, and you can follow him at Joey X. He's uh, kind of really cowboy centric. He does a, the blogging the boys podcast. Um, he and his partner Landon McCool they break down a lot of um, a lot of uh, film throughout the season. They also do a lot of roster study. But he lives in Houston, and he was displaced by the storm briefly. Luckily for him, he didn't. Um, his home didn't get a lot of damage. Uh, certainly not as much as it could have. But he pointed out today on Twitter that there is a, uh, a I don't know, there's an interstate or a, a state highway or whatever in the Houston area that is Highway Number 99. And he, as a Cowboys fan, is proposing that that highway be renamed the J.J. Watt Highway. Hmm. Seems fair. I mean, the guy's already the man in the world of sports, but to, uh, you know, this is a little more important than that. So I like it. And, I mean, is there any reason to nominate anyone else for the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award at this point? <laughs> I mean, just I mean, just give him the damn thing. Give him the damn thing. So, uh, Other sports figures, obviously, were also uh, quick to get involved with this. Uh, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, they had a um, – well, they were going to – okay, so originally the plan was they were scheduled to have a preseason game this past Thursday – in Houston, obviously that wasn't going to go off. So the NFL moved the game initially to Dallas, and then once it was the Houston Texans were able to get back to Houston, when once that opened up and it was clear that they were going to be able to get home, they just they just went ahead and canceled the game. So instead of the game, the Cowboys had a um, uh, they held a live practice in prime time on local television in Dallas and had a uh, basically a telethon where they raised three million dollars in nine minutes including a one million dollar donation from jerry jones so that was that also uh and teams from around the sports world obviously the houston astros gave a million dollars the patriots gave a million dollars uh i think the cardinals uh raised a bunch of money there's a couple other individuals uh some baseball players who, for every home run they hit they're going to donate such and such amount for every uh you know i think sergio garcia he he uh, donated a bunch of money, and all these. Uh, uh, Zeke Elliott gave twenty-one thousand uh, dollars. Des Bryant gave fifty thousand dollars. It's just, it was just a really an outpouring of support for these people who have been affected by this hurricane. Um, and we often think of sports, uh, especially athletes, as selfish and overpaid. But um, it, it's really nice to see the sports world come together for these folks who have lost so much uh, over the last week. So speaking of uh, things that lasted a long time, uh, this Kyrie Irving and Isaiah Thomas trade, and it's now finally final. The Celtics kicked in an extra 2020 second-round draft pick that they had received from Miami to Cleveland to complete the deal after I, they were they showed some concern over the state of Isaiah Thomas's uh, hip after his surgery. Um, Mike is, of course, well, our resident. I, I guess about this, huh? No, yeah, so there you go. So well, let's explain this. Tell the folks what you were talking about with the IT and Kyrie trade. Well, what I said before was that obviously the trade was going to go through. The teams worked too hard on it to make it not go through, and all the Cavs were doing was posturing for an additional asset, and I actually specifically said they're probably going to go after a second-round pick or something, and here you go. So Right. 
because yeah, the um, the reports initially were that they wanted either Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, and I think the Celtics' response to that was, "You can pound sand," because that's not happening. So I'm you sure know, they I, want one or two young studs, but yeah, this is that was not how this was going to go down. So right, um, you know, a little posturing on their end. It's it's if you're in sales uh, or have done any selling of anything in your life, you understand that you always shoot for the moon and. Then if you don't get what you shot for, but you uh, get a little less than you shot for, you still did pretty well. Um, so shoot for the moon, end up with a free second rounder. Look, they were happy with the deal to begin with. Honestly, from an outside perspective, Cleveland won this deal before the second round pick was thrown in. They already got top dollar for a guy that was not going to play for them next year. Kyrie Irving was not going to suit up for the Cavs, even if the Cavs did not trade him based on everything they said. Look, this guy – believes the earth is flat and if you're listening to the show and you believe the earth is flat stop listening to the show <laughs> no Tom, i encourage you to do this go ahead Tom, you obviously believe that the the boston uh celtics won this trade I, I don't know necessarily that i think that they won the trade i certainly believe they gave up a lot of assets to get kyrie irving however i do think that 25 year old point guards who can score like Kyrie can score are kind of rare. Um, so I think you, you have to give up. To fit the ball. So this isn't me right. like hating on Kyrie basketball right. player. It's that if you can face the reality of the fact that he was not going to be wearing a maroon uniform next year, then right. anything they got for him was better than the nothing they had. Right. And, and I, I guess think... my point about him being flat earther was just to say, he's not a logical human being. So he may very well have just chosen to sit out the season if they didn't trade him because he's True. clearly not a logical human being. Now, along with that, best joke I saw on Twitter after the trade, I think, I don't, I think it was after the first announcement of the trade, um, the joke went like this. Kyrie answers the phone. On the other end of the phone is, hi, it's so-and-so from, uh, from the Boston. Wait, so, can I get an interview with so-and-so from the Boston Globe? And Kyrie says, the Boston what? <laughs> so there's that um, But yeah, they gave up a lot of assets They gave up the Brooklyn Nets pick Now, the Nets may not be as bad As they've, as they've been over the last four or five years This year, they may actually not ha- Have the best chance to get the number one pick Doesn't mean they won't get the number one You know, That won't be the number one pick anyway But they may not have the best chance um, They also gave up Ante Zizic Which uh, seven footers Who are athletic uh, are rare, even though he isn't, you know, he hasn't played an NBA game. And they also gave up Jay Crowder, who is a very serviceable uh, starter level NBA big. So, I mean, that's something. And plus, also, the league's uh, was a fourth leading scorer and number one scorer in the fourth quarter last year in uh, Isaiah Thomas. I think the other hey, second me, half of the. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. One of the big things about this trade from a Cleveland perspective is that if you look at it and you end up thinking that Boston and Cleveland meet in the Eastern Conference Finals, which is certainly a reasonable outcome, Jay Crowder is probably the best person on Boston for guarding LeBron, and they gave him up to the Cavs in this trade. You and I have talked about Jay Crowder before. We both really like him. Uh, You you can't teach motor, and Jay Crowder's motor runs as hard as anybody in the league. Um, Good defensive rebounder, just reasonable shooter, really good player, really. Yeah, uh, he has an offensive player. skill set. Yeah. So, um, yeah, a player, but a very good player. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And probably the the Celtics' best answer for LeBron. Look, he's not stopping them. You saw what LeBron did to the or did to the Celtics last year in the playoffs. So clearly Crowder can't stop him, but he's a guy you can put out there on him and try to wear him out. And it's just one less body they could throw at LeBron, probably their most uh, able defender against him on the wing. So now that makes that series, in theory, a little easier for the Cavs, assuming you don't really think that the Isaiah Thomas-Kyrie Irving end of it is completely skewed. Yeah, I mean, that's the other part of it. Now, the Celtics have kind of flipped the script at the uh, the point guard position, though. Now, they have a point guard who the other point guard can't guard. You know what I mean? And as much as Kyrie's not a great defender, he can guard Isaiah Thomas. Because Isaiah's 5'9". Yeah, I mean, he can – actually, the way they have used that matchup um, on the Cavs side in the playoffs last year was to post Kyrie up, oddly. You know, you're posting yep. up your six one guy got a four inch height advantage over the opposing uh, point guard. Super and, rare, right? You know, rare for Kyrie, but he was really effective out of the post in the series. He was. And I think the other half of this for the Celtics is not only do they get a young point guard, they avoid the public relations issue that they may have had with their fan base when they decided to not give Isaiah Thomas the contract that he's going to want after the end of next season. Because Isaiah Thomas is going to want a max deal. I think you and, might uh, find now that they have a better chance to sign him for an other than max deal than the Celtics would have. Because yeah, no, I, on the Celtics, I agree. Their best player, he had some leverage to say, yeah, give me a max deal because I'm your best player, so I should clearly get a max deal because I'm the best player on the Boston Celtics. Whereas he's not going to be able to say that to the Cavs. Um, is he going to get a bunch of money? Yeah, but maybe he gets twenty million a year, which is probably more in line with what he actually deserves than you know thirty-eight million a year or whatever. Right, exactly. So, but but from from your exactly to your point, the Celtics were going to be in a situation where it was either we're going to let him walk or we got to give him thirty-eight million, and that's just not something they wanted to do, and it's also not something they wanted to look at their fans and say we're not doing that. Go ahead, Steve. Uh, I'm sorry, Steve. You broke up on me. I couldn't hear your point. Mike, did you hear? I actually no. He broke up on me too. I assumed it was on my end because I'm on the phone. But okay, so yeah. all right. Go make your point again, Steve. All right, well, Steve's, Steve's breaking up a little bit. We'll get him back on in just a second here. I'm going to try to give a little refresh for him. Uh, but, uh, let's, uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's, well, you're it's been a kind of a – How do you feel about the trade? The bottom line is, as a Celtics fan, do you like the trade? I like it and I hate it, uh, yeah, both at the same time. You know what I mean? I, I like that they got Kyrie. I like Kyrie as a player. I don't love Kyrie uh, obviously, defensively, I think he's got. I know he has liabilities; they're, they're evident. But you know, Isaiah Thomas is probably one of the few players in the league that was a worse defender than than Kyrie. Um, I think Kyrie can thrive in Boston, uh, but you know, you don't like the fact that you lost Jay Crowder uh, to get him, plus Ante Zizic, plus two draft picks. Now, the second round draft pick to me, I don't really care about that. Second round draft picks pan out so very rarely that yeah, whatever you know what I mean. The 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 Nets pick that's a little that's a lot more valuable. But it, you know, finally they took one of those picks 
and turned it into an, a, a tangible asset, a veteran player, an all-star type player. So, I mean, I, I don't love the hate the trade, but I don't absolutely hate the trade either. Does that make sense? It does. Um, as you know, I'm a Knicks fan, but as I've told you before, as long as LeBron's going to be in the league, I'm going to be a LeBron fan. And uh, I like the I like the trade from the Cavs' perspective. I'm curious what they choose to do, um, kind of game plan wise. If they just go LeBron, you're our point guard. You've always been our point guard. Now we're just going to stop pretending you're not our point guard. Um, if they do that. And they bring Isaiah off the bench as the sixth man, as you and I have discussed, is his best role. He's Vinny the Mark uh, Johnson. Um, if they Johnson. can do that, yeah, for if sure. They, if, if they can use him in that capacity, as opposed to relying on him to play 36 minutes a game and be the leading scorer on the team, if they can bring him off the bench for the quick runs when LeBron's, you know, the last three minutes of a quarter he sits and then he sits in the break, then he sits the first minute of the next quarter or whatever and rely on Isaiah to kind of carry the offensive load, which was a huge problem for the Cavs was every time LeBron sat, their offense could not do anything. Uh, yeah, but and, I don't know that that's they, how they're going to use him. I, I don't know how they are. I guess that's what I'm saying is it depends on how they game plan with him as to whether or not I really like the result of this trade. At this point, I think he's their starting point guard, which I think is, I mean, still, it's a little bit of a liability, but I think, you know, you've got LeBron. LeBron can run the offense. That's fine. You can, I think that's actually, that, now that I'm saying it out loud, that actually could be better for Isaiah Thomas where he doesn't have to initiate the offense, but he does need the ball in his hands to make things work. Steve's back with us. Uh, what are you, final thoughts on the trade, Steve? Yep. All right, Steve. Um, you may, Steve, you might have to call in, buddy. Um, crap. That sucks. Uh, all right. So anyway, we'll move on to the the next thing, um, and that's uh, the NFL. We're going to talk a lot of NFL on this show. We're going to do our 2017 playoff preview. We're going to talk about uh, postseason awards. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? That kind of stuff. But uh, there's other big news in the NFL, isn't there, Mike? There is. And, Steve, if you or anybody else want to call into the show, the number is 646-668-2278. That number again is 646-668-2278. Correct. So the NFL, uh, obviously, uh, if you've been following anything with the, uh, with the Kyrie and the Kyrie, <laughs> with the Ezekiel Elliott suspension, obviously he very quickly uh, appealed the suspension, uh, and the appeal was heard last well, began being heard last Tuesday, and kind of unprecedented. The appeal process went three days. Several witnesses were called, uh, including uh, lead investigator Kia Roberts of the NFL, uh, among others. And um, even before the ruling is, has been brought down from Harold Henderson, the league's arbitrator, uh, Ezekiel Elliott's team, the NFLPA, and the Dallas Cowboys have filed a suit in East Texas court to uh, basically block any suspension upheld by Harold Henderson, whether it's the six games, four games, two games. The only outcome they will accept is a full vacating of the suspension. We're going to try Steve one more time. We'll talk to you about the Ezekiel case. Not working, Steve, buddy. Not working. Sorry, man. 
All right, Mike, uh, what, what do you got on Zeke? Well, I think that it's it's sort of a personal opinion thing. and It's just that if you have not been found guilty in a court of law, I dislike the idea that you can now be found guilty by a court of the NFL. Um, and especially when you have the precedents having been set in the past with these domestic violence cases, and you have things like Ray Rice on video beating up his wife in an elevator, like worse than Mayweather beat up Conor McGregor last week. And right. you have things like Josh Brown with a violent history against his wife to the point where the NFL had to have the two of them separated in a hotel room at the Pro Bowl, I believe. Um, you know, had to take the wife and quarantine her away from Josh Brown because he's such a threat to her safety. And you balance that with Ezekiel Elliott, there being no proof that he even hit this female. And in fact, some, some proof to the contrary, as far as her credibility goes and nothing as far as the prosecution wouldn't even prosecute Elliott because they found the evidence to be lacking yet. The NFL drops down a six game suspension on this kid who the court of law basically said, we don't even want to bring this to court because there's not enough to, to prosecute it, let alone not only, guilty. Right. Not only was he never uh, tried or even, you know, but he was never charged with anything right. to any degree. They, they're like, there's no charges to be brought here. Exactly. And so, so for that result in a six, look, if you want to say that Ezekiel Elliott this whole thing puts a black stain on the NFL and you want to give him an appropriate punishment for that. It is not a six game suspension, whatever it is, Correct. it's not a six game. Right. If you're going to do contract detrimental to the league, do two games, teach him a lesson. Hey, look, straighten up and that's fine. But you can't, here's the, here's the problem. They, they actually, the wording of the suspension is for, uh, he's being suspended for violating the league's personal conduct policy, but they're they're punishing him for violating the league's domestic violence policy. The punishment is the domestic violence policy uh, policy punishment, and they're actually saying it's for personal conduct. Okay, so those two things. First of all, that's not you know that doesn't mesh. It's not the right way to do it. My, my thing is, and Mike and I talked about this before, uh, well, earlier today, and it's, I, I want the NFL out of this business. I know it's not going to happen, but I want them, I don't want them investigating off-field stuff anymore because they're horrendously bad at it. They're so bad. They can't get this right. It, 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 the right. There's too much, like, personal investment in it. From Goodell on down, John Mara, guys who – like, look, Goodell got made an idiot of by the whole Tom Brady deflategate thing. And so he pursued that for a year until he got the suspension he wanted initially on Brady. And as a Patriots fan, I, that whole thing BS. Now, that being said, there was a much greater case to suspend Brady than there is to suspend Elliott here. I'm not a Cowboys fan. I don't like the Cowboys. I could care less about Ezekiel Elliott personally. But what's happening to that kid is BS. He is getting screwed. Absolutely. And um, having, having John Morrow, who's the owner of the Giants, be on 
you know, be in the highest levels of the NFL and be influential in these type of decisions where your kicker gets a one game suspension for a far worse crime and Elliot gets six games and you're integral to that decision-making process as a competitive owner is I'm just not okay with it. For sure. All right. So uh, let's see. Here. Is this, uh, is this, is this Steve? Yeah, this is me. All right. Steve's hey. on the line. Roger that. All right. What? All right, so tell me, Steve. I, I, I cut the other one off, so hopefully that that alleviates that. So tell me, Steve, your thoughts on the Zeke uh, the Zeke Elliott suspension. While you guys are talking, I'm going to get a beer. All right. So go ahead. Hold on. <laughs> hey, we can right. hear you clearly now. That's a plus. It's you a plus. You're not cutting out. Yeah, you're not cutting out anymore. Oh. I can't hear you guys now. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> That's not let ideal. Me, let, me, uh, let me get some. Let me let me get some headphones through this uh, damn case here, and then um, yeah, all right, should be cool. all good. Okay, that's cool. All right, so uh, we'll get with that uh, in just a minute. So basically, my my whole thought is here: the NFL is so bad at investigating these off-field incidents. I want to like if they like as far as the Brady thing goes. Okay. That was something that was on field that happened during a game. Uh, you know, the spy gate thing. Fine. These are things that the NFL should be involved with judica- adjudicating. They should not be involved with outside stuff. So basically what, my thing with the NFL is if, if someone gets convicted of something, suspend them. If the courts can't find evidence enough to, or witnesses to corroborate or whatever it happens to be in any particular situation, then you know what? Don't be the private investigators that you all apparently think that you are because you're not very good at it. You have screwed it up time and time and time again, and it's enough already. It's enough. Um, now, Mike and I also agreed off the air that that's never going to happen. As long, certainly not as long as Roger Goodell is the commissioner of the National Football League. Steve, can you hear us now? Yeah, I think I can. Can you hear me? Okay, cool. Yes, I can. Yeah, Go ahead right. and talk about the, the Zeke suspension yeah, I mean, a little bit. This whole thing is, I mean, it's just, it's just a ploy to, you know, it's just to exert power or, or attempt to anyway. I mean, it's just ridiculous, you know. I mean, everything should be just handled by, by a third party. You know, someone, I mean, someone at least that's neutral with the whole that's thing. That's a... That's a, a very good uh, suggestion to have a completely separate firm that does not answer to the NFL commissioner who basically is may, maybe it's a group of people who the NFL players association and NFL uh, owners agree on a, a panel of three people or something like that. Um, that's a very good suggestion. I think Steve, I like that a lot. Um, all right. So, but moving forward, trust me, we're going to be talking about the Zeke Elliott versus the NFL case probably for a while. My, my personal opinion, I don't think Zeke misses a single game this year. I think this is going to go through the courts, and he's going to play all season. That's my personal opinion. So, if you, if you haven't drafted in your fantasy league yet, go ahead, take him. And, and I would. And for what it's worth, I hope you're right, because it really, that's how it deserves to go down. Unless some new evidence comes out. That's how it should go down. So I drafted him in the first round today in a mock. <laughs> <laughs> right, because, hey, why not, right? 
right. So yeah. uh, last thing, last thing before we head to our first break, uh, the MLB, a lot of really awesome, a lot of late trades uh, on the 31st of August, the biggest of which Justin Verlander for three prospects to the Astros. Uh, so he goes to the city of Houston. Steve was a little concerned about him being able to find a dry place to sleep. But there he goes. He's off. He's off to Houston. Do you think this? Well, he, traded I mean, one, he, he traded one bad water situation for another. Right, coming from Detroit, headed <laughs> headed over to Houston. So, do you? To me, Houston is the class of the of the major of the American League. Anyway, does this change the balance of power significantly in the American League? Does it make them the prohibitive favorite if they weren't already? And does it make them a better? I don't know, match up for some of the National League teams. Uh, Steve, please go ahead and talk to me about that. Well, I mean, uh, he goes there as a uh, probably, what, a uh, fourth starter? I mean, is that basically no. what he is? I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe you could argue that he's as high as a two, but he's certainly not the ace anymore. Dallas Keekle's still down there. Um, I would say he's probably third or fourth. Myself, I think their starting rotation is really good. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's heads and shoulders above, you know, uh, you know, anyone else in their, you know, in in their division. Definitely. Oh, clearly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mike, any opinions on the Verlander trade or anything else that happened in Major League Baseball over the last week? Well, my thought really on is you can never have too much starting pitching. Um, when guys, when starting pitchers get hurt, they generally get hurt for the season. Now you have that much more cushion as a team that really does have World Series aspirations. And I, I think we would all agree that Verlander is a serviceable – if you get to the World Series, you don't mind Verlander starting a game, um, whether it be the third, fourth, whatever. Um, and it's a great add to the team. I, I think that Houston was not even one piece away before the trade. They had a case that they're already a top contender for the World Series. So adding strength in the starting rotation only – you know, bolsters their case to come out of the American League. I like to trade for them a lot, for the move for them right. a lot. They, they, they made what? a case as far as being the, being the best, you know, team in baseball. And given, you know, uh, L.A.'s, uh, I guess, you know, lack of success in the postseason, you know, I mean, this, yeah, it's just, you know, this addition just helps them. One more Plus, thing uh, recently in baseball – and, and I want to get Mike. I just wanted to hear. Well, I want to hear your pain. So the one bright spot of the New York Mets. Mike is a Mets fan. What's the one bright spot of the Mets this season, Mike? The bright spot for the Mets for the last three seasons has been, in theory, their starting pitching. It's no, just, no, I was talking theory, about. I was talking. Oh. I was talking about Conforto. Yeah, he's and he's been great, except for the fact that he had the chance to win the All Star game and he didn't. I really enjoyed that. That was in typical Mets fashion. That was cool. Did you, um, and you saw what, yeah 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 he basically doesn't have a shot did you have you ever seen anyone's shoulder blow up so visibly in any situation as that as that what that looked like <laughs> it's just like you said typical new york Mets fashion man it's uh they they can't stay healthy and either they start strong and wither down the stretch or they start weak and get just close enough at the end to get you excited and then let you down at the end and that's been life as a Mets fan for 36 years generally. I became a Mets fan uh, the Carol Strawberry Doc Gooden era because that's the first like baseball I remember as a kid 
and it's like, man, these New York Mets are pretty cool. And cocaine's a hell of a drug. And uh, <laughs> all right, okay, guys. Listen, we're gonna take a break. Um, and now that we got all our technical difficulties out of the way, this show should go really well. So if you were listening uh, off the top of the show, which I hope you were, uh, you heard the song From Out of Nowhere by Faith No More. We're going to feature Faith No More all day today. These are songs off of their greatest hits package called Who Cares a Lot uh, from 1998. Faith No More, one of the great bands of the 90s, um, kind of underrated. So I'm going to play it. That, that one was from out of nowhere. going to play another one right now. This one's called Falling to Pieces. And uh, we'll be back on Sports and Beer with Friends right after this. So talk to you in just a minute.
everybody. We're back. It's the one and only Face No More off the Greatest Hits package, uh, Who Cares A Lot, which is a play off one of their early songs uh, called We Care A Lot. Uh, they're uh, one of the better, uh, like, alternative. They, they're kind of one of the, uh, I don't want to say, like, pioneers of the alternative genre. The, genre. They came out uh, early in the mid to late 80s. Um, but, yeah, we'd like to remind you that Sports and Beer with Friends does not own the rights to the music we play. It is for your listening enjoyment only. And if you like the music, we encourage you to purchase these songs from iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, or wherever music is sold. This week's featured album is Who Cares A Lot, which is a greatest hits double album from the band Faith No More. That album was released in 1998. And, uh, yeah, so three of the songs I'm going to play today are off, actually, their first really big album, which is called The Real Thing. And then I got another one that's kind of an EP thing, and then another one off of an album called Angel Dust. So hopefully you'll enjoy those. Mike, are you you're familiar with Faith No More? Yeah. Yep. I've okay, never cool. been a huge fan, but, I mean, I've listened to a bunch of their stuff. A bunch of my friends growing up liked them. Uh, cool. Yes. I, marginal marginal interest i i like a lot of bands they're similar to cool uh steve did they uh that's, that's a good question did they get a lot of play in the islands around the uh eight, 89 90 re, uh area i guess like what, what one or two songs yeah probably. okay <laughs> no i mean that's in all honesty though if you weren't like kind of dialed into that hard rock alternative scene you that's probably all you would ever have heard of them you know what i mean it wasn't like and at the time that they came out it was really very hair hairband heavy i mean they were around the, you know i mean i think the same year uh appetite for destruction came out uh death leopard had a you still had a couple of hits off of their last album when that when this so they, they weren't necessarily what was popular and hip um when uh when when this uh when this their their first big album uh the real thing came out they had a couple albums before that um but you know there you go so uh, to your point steve uh, most people i think have only ever heard one or two faith no more songs and they probably didn't hear that song that i just played falling to pieces so there you go no all right uh so just a quick reminder the number to call to join us here on sports and beer with friends is 646-668-2278 and we're going to do our dumb sports list of the week so uh this would be a great time to call folks because this is going to be a doozy Uh, it's the 23 active nfl players who are mortal locks for the hall of fame by our favorite writer harris amadzai but he has a collaborator this time some guy named jason frey and this article was released back on august 4th and first, we'll start with the honorable mentions on this list. So these three guys did not make the 23 mortal locks for the Hall of Fame. Uh, Antonio Brown, A.J. Green, and Julio Jones. Do you disagree with any of those guys not being on the 23? But, and they shouldn't. <laughs> I, mean, I agree. At this point. None of those people are mortal locks. Joe not in the Hall right of Fame. Of so. <laughs> that is true. If Terrell Owens is not good enough to be in the Hall of Fame, those three guys got no business. They're not going to sniff it. <laughs> it's not Look, oh. they couldn't, couldn't create a case with five or six more really good years. And Green right. is closer than the other. Julio, to me, is the best player among the three of them, but has a lot of stats to pile up before he'll get there. Um, yeah, the, I think it's it goes without saying that none of those three are currently mortal locks. Mortal locks. I love the wording. It's so great. All right, so we'll just start with number 23, and I kind of agree with this one. Uh, quarterback Philip Rivers. 
I really wish that – so I have the list pulled up, right? And yep. I really wish in the discussion of Philip Rivers' mortal lockitude for the Hall of Fame – I'll make that one <laughs> up – that they would share with us Philip Rivers' stats. Now, obviously, I have Google, and I could go find those. But the Hall of Fame is all about stats. It really is. Even for Philip Rivers without saying that Philip Rivers has – 40,000 passing yards or whatever the number is, um, is a worthless case. So I'm going to start your list off with its worthlessness by saying, if you don't even tell me how many passing yards and touchdowns Phillip Rivers has thrown for in his career, everything else in the two paragraphs where you try to justify his mortal loctitude is BS. I love it. All right, so for the record, uh, career completion percentage 64.4, 45,833 yards, 314 touchdowns to only 156 interceptions. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, his career passer rating is 94.7. So, uh, who are those, we talking about? Who, who are we talking about? Drew, Drew Bledsoe? No, Philip Reed. Philip Rivers. <laughs> but it's not, you know what I mean? These are great numbers. It, it, it sounds like Drew Bledsoe's career. Is he in the Hall of Fame? No, that's true. He's not in the Hall of Fame. Um, this guy oh, says he's argued. Go ahead. I, I do agree with this. I mean, even if he was, let's say, in the top ten, because I, you know, I mean, it's longevity-wise. I mean, that, that that that's the key. He's been in the league a long time. He was a quarterback, a starting quarterback, his entire career. Yep. He has the stats. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, it's hard not to agree that, uh, you know, he has a chance. But, I mean, his career really sounds closer to Drew Bledsoe than it does Dan Marino. Well, yeah, I mean. I, I have to say, they, they have a similar number of passing yards for their career. But, I mean, Rivers has, like, 60 less, sixty more touchdowns and 50 less picks. So, so there's uh, that, and, yeah. Passer rating. So statistically, he's far better than Bledsoe. And he never got Bradied, and he never got Romoed. <laughs> so there's that. Um, the, the line here is arguably the most controversial selection. I think that's the dumbest line in the whole thing. I don't think he's that controversial uh, as a as a Hall of Fame candidate. I think he's probably pretty good. And, and, and I'm, I'm just reading it now. I just pulled it up now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not controversial at all. At all. I mean, yeah. So I argued we could be in the top ten, and then he was like, "Yeah, okay, well, yeah, I think he's, uh, you know, um, I think he's uh, he's earned it. I mean, stats-wise, longevity-wise, I mean, he's there, better than Mike Trout on the uh, on the baseball on the other, on the baseball list." <laughs> All right, so I think you guys both agree with me that if someone's going to be called a mortal lock, it means if their career ended today, they are a Hall of Famer already. Does yep. that make sense? Okay. All right. Well, number 22 is Richard Sherman. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know if okay. I agree with him being a, a mortal lock at this point. Yeah. Uh, that just takes away whatever good I said about the list. I mean, you know, after I saw the previous pick, I mean, yes. I mean, wow. I mean, how can Sherman be ahead of uh, Philip Rivers? Right. And that's, that's the thing. It's, I mean, and, and, other, like, other, than a, other than a Super Bowl victory. I mean, it's just. <laughs> and for quarters, that shouldn't matter that much, I don't think. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but, I, I mean, Richard Sherman, to me, if he retired today for whatever reason, uh, 
I think he'd have a a case for Hall of Fame, but I don't know that he would be a first ballot automatic Hall of Famer. 30 career interceptions is something. I mean, that's, I mean, he hasn't been in the league that long and he's got 30 picks and he has, he was at least was the dominant corner in the league for a couple seasons. But what what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, go ahead, Steve. So based on this, I guess we'll see Darrell Revis in like uh, maybe in the top 10 or, you know, at least in the teens. Well, okay. So I, I didn't have a case until I did some Googling. Um, because I didn't know how long Sherman had been in the league. And the answer is clearly that he is not a mortal lock for the Hall of Fame since he's only played six seasons. Um, mm-hmm. And other stats are so egregious that, you know, it's not like he's played six seasons and the statistics in those six seasons are so ridiculous that he just right. has to be there. If he plays six more seasons at a similar level to what he's done in the first six, well, then certainly. Um, right. But no, he he is not a mortal lock. He is not a Hall of Famer today. He has there's nothing he could do in the following season coming up that he could create a Hall of Fame career out of his current career in one more season. He probably needs to play four more excellent seasons to be a lock for the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. So the players, I will say that. Yeah, the the one thing that that does stand out to you among Sherman is that he does he has averaged in his career five picks a season, and that's a pretty high number to average. Yep. But that doesn't make I, you an automatic Hall of Famer, in my opinion. I'm not going to argue that Richard Sherman's a good player. Like he's really, right. really, really good. But we're talking about the Hall of Fame. All right. Next, number twenty-one, Vaughn Miller. Super Bowl MVP from Super Bowl 50 and uh, current uh, spokesman for Old Spice. Here's another guy uh, that's only been in the last six years. So yep. I've got the same exact problem I just described to Richard Sherman. I will say this, Tom Miller at least statistically has a better case because 73 sacks over six seasons is pretty damn impressive. Um, it really is. But seven, not only 73 sacks, but 24 fumbles. Um, but even that, that's not good enough. Not, not unless he does it four more times or, you know, yep. thereabouts. I mean, the, the one thing that both of them have in common, um, you know, with uh, Miller and Sherman are that they, you know, I guess, you know, undoubtedly are the leaders of two dominant defenses, you know, or at least, you know, the, uh, his public perception wise, they, you know, they're, they're, you know, they stand out on two, two, like, really, really good defenses. For sure. Yeah, I would say this. Both play on defenses that you can point at one year of their defense and go, that defense is historically good for one to two years, and they were the yep, linchpin right. pin of set defense. So they have the beginnings. Both of them have the makings of a future Hall of Famer. It's just that neither of them is there yet. That's all. And they both share uh, one other trait, and that they are both game wreckers, uh, potentially at, at any given moment. They can take over games from the defensive side of the ball. Von Miller, in particular, he is a ridiculously talented uh, outside linebacker slash defensive end, and he is a real problem when he is on the top of his game. Moving on, number Steve, twenty. You... Go ahead. Hold on, Tom. Steve, you agree that six seasons just isn't enough, no matter what? Oh, definitely, definitely. 
Well, they opened up the door to six seasons when they put Terrell, Terrell Davis in the Hall of Fame this year. You've got a point. You do have a point. Um, but I, I'll go on record as saying I completely disagree with that choice. So, um, No, me too. I, I don't know. I think Terrell, listen, I'm not, I don't like to be a hater like that. I, I like Terrell Davis. I like him as a player. Six seasons. It's just not enough to be a Hall of Famer, but he's in the Hall of Fame and Terrell Owens isn't. Maybe, uh, I don't know. Number 20, Steve, this is going to make you so happy. Defensive tackle in Damakong Sue. Talk to me about the Sioux man. Steve, go ahead. What has he done? Right. <laughs> He's been a very defensive tackle. There's no question about that. 47 career sacks from the tackle spot is a lot. It's a lot so far. I mean, at to this point in his career. But, but as far as being a mortal lock, I mean, just, yeah, it's just. <laughs> I got it. Right, and again. You, when you say the name Andamakan Sue, your first reaction almost isn't, wow, that guy's a great player. It's, He's really dirty. You know what I mean? And, I mean, I'm a, enough of an NFL fan to see past it and understand the kind of player this guy is. But yep. most of the publicity he's gotten in his career is for stepping on guys when they're down and things like that. So, um, it's, it's, it's funny how the Hall of Fame discussion always comes back. You know, and this is going to be the last time I mention Owen's name in this whole segment, I promise. No, it's not. The reason Terry wasn't in the Hall of Fame is because no one likes him. That's, there's no other reasonable, there's no other reasonable argument for it, and so if he's not in the Hall of Fame because people don't like him, then Sue has no chance ever, no matter what he does. Agreed, agreed. Uh, all right, so we'll we'll move on from Indomitong to a guy who actually I believe is a mortal lock for the Hall of Fame, number nineteen running back Frank Gore, probably a little bit underappreciated by by younger fans of the NFL who did who don't remember his from from like four or five maybe six seasons ago in his heyday in San Francisco. Uh, Mike, talk to me about Frank Gore. I mean, he's a running back with thirteen thousand career rushing yards, so. Uh, that probably puts you in. He's a little light on touchdowns. He's only got 74 touchdowns for his career. He did. He's 4.4 yards per carry. I mean, when I look at his stat line, I think he's probably a Hall of Famer. Um, I, I don't know that he ever had. So the reason that Terrell Davis is in the Hall of Fame is because you can point at two seasons of Terrell Davis's career and say he was the best running possibly the best player in the NFL for two years. And I don't know that you can look at Frank Gore's career and, and say there was any point in Frank Gore's career where he was the best running back in the NFL. doesn't necessarily mean he's not a Hall of Famer. It's just kind of a check mark against him. Um, I think statistically he's kind of been a, a guy who's just compiled a lot of numbers over his career, um, and he probably will make the Hall of Fame because of that. But if you didn't vote him in, it wouldn't win. I mean, okay. I, I, I mean, I. All right, Steve. So I just I, I give the guy credit for just being able to stay alive, you know, uh, running behind <laughs> the line <laughs> in Indianapolis the past couple of years. Jesus Christ! 
Yeah, for sure. And 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 his numbers have shown it too. But you know, thirteen seasons in the yeah, thirteen twelve seasons in the league, he's got nine years over nine uh, over a thousand yards, including a couple of sixteen hundred yard seasons. So very impressive stuff for sure. Uh, all right, moving on to the next one. Uh, number eighteen, outside linebacker Clay Matthews of the third. Steve. Hall of Fame hair for sure, right? You know, at least he's uh, yeah. You can uh, you know you can be there with Paul Amalu, I guess, with the hair. But uh, you know, it's uh, at least you know a little bit you know I guess bigger sample on that. I mean, and you can make make an argument that you know I mean for the Super Bowl run, he you know he was you know he was their leader, even more so than I mean shoot he might have been not only the defensive leader but the team leader. But again, I mean Mortal Lock. You know, it's, it's, um, there's a lot of guys out there in the past that, I mean, have put up similar numbers, have played similar roles, and, you know, just aren't all of famous. Well, they're not, a lot of those guys aren't, I was going to say, a lot of those guys aren't white. <laughs> they, they, they're within one. I love black people! I love black people! I love black people! I love black people! Sorry, guys. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I just lost my train of thought. Him and Von Miller have the same exact number of sacks. Basically, they're off by one. Von Miller has seven more forced fumbles, and he's done it in two less seasons. Um, so, as important as longevity is, Clay Matthews hasn't done anything to discern himself over Von Miller, who we just got done saying isn't a mortal lock for the Hall of Fame because he hasn't done it for long enough. If that's the case, I think – could say the same of Clay Matthews, and also he hasn't had the high-end greatness of Von Miller. I mean, Clay, over the past, like, probably five, six, seven seasons, has been a shadow of what it was, you know, when, uh, you know, when they won a Super Bowl. I mean, he hasn't been healthy. Agreed. He hasn't been able to stay healthy, and he hasn't had as many sacks, as many big plays. Um, he hasn't been as much of a difference maker over the last couple, maybe probably two or three seasons for sure. All right, the next guy on the list, just ahead of Clay Matthews, number 17, safety, Earl Thomas. Now, I'll say this before you guys get a chance. Safeties are tough. See, a lot, there's a lot of really good safeties who ain't in the Hall of Fame, bro. Seven seasons for Earl Thomas. He's got 23 career interceptions, uh, 393 total tackles, uh, nine forced fumbles, five fumble returns. Uh, yeah, I mean, hasn't scored one career. This is kind of a shocker. One career touchdown, uh, defensive touchdown for Earl Thomas. Uh, Mike, go ahead and talk to you about Earl Thomas and his candidacy for the Hall of Fame. Okay, so I said before it's difficult to quantify defensive players. Very difficult to quantify safeties because they're asked to do a variety of things. Some safeties are asked to come up and defend against the run a lot. Some safeties are asked to play center field. So it's hard to statistically compare one safety to the next, really. I mean, he's kind of on this list for the same reason uh, Sherman's on the list, and that's because Seattle's defense had four or five seasons where they were sort of a historically good defense. And I think when you point at the guys who were so critical to that, it was that Legion of Boom secondary. And so that's yep. why this guy's on the list. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's, it's hard to say. If you want to put him there, it doesn't I, – I, I'm not going to kill you for it, but I think three more seasons of doing the same thing he's been doing 
I guess that's my problem with the list so far. You got a bunch of six and seven year players on it, and if so, you're going to put six and seven players on it, you got to be able to go, wow, that guy might have only been doing it for six or seven years, but he's clearly the best player at his position for two or three of those years. And you know, whether you want to make that argument or not is up to you. I think on this guy, I really like Earl Thomas. I think three more seasons of Earl Thomas as we've seen him so far probably does put him in the hall. Now, so Mike is going to say, if you want to crown his ass, then crown him. Uh, all right, so Steve, what are you going to say? <laughs> uh, so, wait, so one thing I uh, one thing I agree with is his place on the list in re- in relation to Richard Sherman because I think he's you know been I guess asked to play a bigger role you know in that defense. Um, you know, I think I I guess you know as far as you know if he belongs in the Hall of Fame, I mean. Um, you guys think Paul Amalu is uh, is a Hall of Famer? He's I do more so than Thomas. Yeah, more so than Earl Thomas for sure. Okay. So right. you know, you, right, so I guess you know, a, a number of years. You know, he, he still has you know, I guess a few years left in the bank, so to say. I mean, it's just see how it plays out. And then we had a big injury at the end of last year too. So we got to see how, he, how he's going to look. Uh, going forward. Number 16 on the list, outside linebacker T. Sizzle himself, Terrell Suggs. Uh, I know Mike likes this guy a lot. Steve, tell me about uh, whether Terrell Suggs... Oh, I'll give you the stats first. Going into it, he has played 13 seasons, 114 and a half sacks, 34 fumbles, he's got seven picks, he scored two touchdowns, uh, 537 total tackles. Steve, talk to me about... Uh, Ball so hard's uh, valedictorian. I just I, I disagree with this totally. I mean, why is he so low on the list? Yeah, I understand. Right. <laughs> oh, okay, I thought you were saying you disagree with him being a Hall of Famer. I was going to say we're about to. No, I mean, why, why is he so low? Mike was going to fist fight you. <laughs> yeah, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't argue, I wouldn't argue if this guy was uh, you know was in the top five. Jesus Christ. <laughs> for sure. And he's and he's been listed at sixty. So we can all agree on Sizzle. That's great. I mean, for sure. A great football player. Great all right, very similar. Can I really quick tell a story about Suggs? Suggs ran an awful forty time in the combine and fell Horrible. in the draft to the poor Ravens, who needed a defensive player, not at all, but couldn't help themselves but to take him back in two thousand three. And they got themselves a future Hall of Famer because he ran a slow 40 time. He ran something like a 4840 or something, like ridiculously slow for his position. And that's why you only you pay attention to what you watch the guy do at Arizona State instead of paying attention to what you watch him do in the combine in the short time. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Next on the list, number 15. I got to tell you, I'm a little shocked that this guy has played one fewer season than Terrell Suggs. Number 15, also an outside linebacker, also from the NFC North, James Harrison of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, So he's played 12 seasons going into his 13th. I'm sorry, it says 15th season here. Maybe I'm missing something. It says he's got his 15 seasons. Okay, so 15 seasons, I guess. Uh, 81 and a half sacks, 8. Force, uh, I'm sorry, 33 force fumbles, eight picks, if you can believe it, plus one of the iconic plays in the history of the Super Bowl where he picked off Kurt Warner right before the halftime and returned it 100 yards for a touchdown. You don't see outside linebackers do that shit, and he did it. 
And I know that Mike likes the Steelers a lot, uh, especially guys like James Harrison. Steve, you tell me about why James Harrison is a mortal lock for the Hall of Fame. Yes, I'm. Um, I'm in agreement with this. Uh, w- with him being on the list, I mean, you know, and just another one that you know, I I wouldn't put up an argument if he was ranked higher. Well, I mean, for sure, he's a longevity. I mean, he's, he's performed. He got a couple championships. I mean, and played well in them. You know? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's not only had longevity. He's not only had a great career where he's been consistently great for his whole career. That play in the Super Bowl makes him a mortal lock, regardless of the – you know what I mean? Because the rest yeah, of his he, career, is obviously, he's been outstanding. But that he basically won that Super Bowl single-handedly because Arizona was going to score there. Like, they're on the one-yard line, right? Right. And it's a 14-point swing. point swing in the Super Bowl. And I think we've talked about it a lot. There's nothing that wins games more than defensive scores. That one in particular was just backbreaking. Can you imagine being in that Arizona locker room in the half? Like, they were about to go into that half with every thought that they were going to come out and play well in the second half and win the game. And instead, because of one man's individual play, that whole Arizona locker room was shot. They had to watch that Super Bowl halftime performance in just dismay over what just happened. Like, that is an all-time great play. So, it's sort of the cherry on top of a. Hall of Fame career. He's, he's like Steve said, should be higher. All right, so moving on to number 14, former Patriots uh, kicker, now with the Colts, Adam Vinatieri. Now, Adam's been around forever. He's the oldest player in the league. He is currently third. He's eighth in all-time completion percentage or accuracy is what I would how I would quantify that stat. And he's also third all-time in scoring, but at his current pace, he probably will end up as the most prolific scorer. He is only 166 points behind Morton Anderson for the league's all-time scoring record. Uh, Mike, he's your boy. Tell me about him. I mean, uh, this is another one that's a no-brainer. I think I haven't looked at the rest of the list. If, uh, we could pretty much stop talking if they're all guys like this because you'd be an idiot to argue that Vinatieri doesn't belong in the, in the Hall of Fame. I mean, what do you got? I mean, only he only won three or four Super Bowls with his field goals, yeah? Well, first of all, the tuck rule, worst call in the history of the NFL, okay? I'm a Patriots fan. I was watching that game with my Raiders fan friend, and I still to this day laugh in his face then apologize about it because it's just the worst call in the history of the league. What's lost in the tuck rule is the fact that Vinatieri then kicked a 45-yarder out of a snowbank to win the game. Uh, yes. Like, they basically had to go out with snow shovels to create a spot for him to kick a 45-yard field goal. And he kicks this line drive duck through the uprights that wins that game. And then proceeds to beat Philly in the Super Bowl with a kick, beat um, Carolina Carolina in the Super Bowl with a kick, yeah, and, and beat the Rams in the Super Bowl with a kick. So he won three on his leg um, in addition to making kicks that got them there that were – otherworldly as well. So, yeah, if you're going to put a kicker in the super, in the, in the Hall of Fame, he's your guy. All right, he's a kicker. Steve, do you want to talk about a kicker, or do you want to move on to number 13? Well, you know, it's, I mean, he's, he's performed well on the biggest stage. I mean, it's just, you know, he's, he's won championships with his legs. I mean, yep. You know? He's a big-time performer. 
Absolutely. A, a, clearly a big-time performer. I, I think he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, I think there should be more specialists in the Hall of Fame, to be honest. But uh, number 13, quarterback Eli Manning. Steve, oh, I'll let you go first. <laughs> Steve, I'll let you go first because I'm sure that Mike has some things to say about Eli. I'll pull up the stats while you're talking. Go ahead. Yeah, there's no stats to pull up. I mean, what has he led the league in? Uh, interceptions. Three times. Interceptions. That's three the times. Old- all right. The, the only, the only statistical that. category. That's all I have to say about that. Okay. All right, Mike. Rip into this, dude. For his career, he's only 17 games over 500. He has an under 60% completion percentage in an era when most of the good quarterbacks complete 65 to 70% of their passes. He has thrown for 48,000 yards. That's hard to ignore. Um, but he looks like a dork. Uh, I can't stand him personally. <laughs> he beat my team in the Super Bowl twice. Uh, die in a fire, and then go to the Hall of Fame, you prick. I, career, he's been, he's been right. basically like a 97 quarterback in his career, though. So that's right. That if you want to make the – the only thing that really puts him in the Hall of Fame is the two Super Bowl wins, and neither of those teams was really that great of a team. They just got hot in the playoffs. Um, the 07 <laughs> Giants 10-6 in the regular season. The 2011 Giants were 9-7 and seven in the regular season. Um and that's just been what Eli has done in his career. The guy has thrown 320 touchdowns and 215 picks. I mean, oh. All right. So, to your point, Eli Manning um, has thrown less has, – has failed to throw double-digit interceptions in a season only once. That was his rookie year, and he didn't even appear in 10 games that year. So, he has, he has led the league in interceptions – Thrice when he threw 20 in 2007. Is that correct? Yeah, 25 in 2010, and a whopping 27 interceptions to go against 18 touchdowns in 2013. He's been very bad. His career passer rating is 83.7. He has had passer ratings as low as 69.4 in a full season. That's horrible. Here's my. He had one year where the Giants were 12 and 4, and he only threw 10 picks. I mean, a little causality yes. there because another year in his career, he's thrown at least fourteen. Yes. And, I mean, uh, uh, God, I'm so glad he doesn't play for my team. I don't know what else to say. I would hate. Okay. That to uh, yeah, just one more thing to say. I mean, he's ten spots above Philip Rivers. <laughs> right. All right. So here we go, uh, Mike. I'm gonna I'm gonna make your day. I'm gonna I'm gonna get, put you back in a good mood. Number twelve. Defensive end, Dwight Freeney. Yeah. I mean, is there an argument? No, there's no argument against him. He's got 122 sacks. He's one of the most unblockable defensive ends we've ever seen in the history of this league. Like, that spin move coming off of the end, the power and speed with which this guy came off the end, and there was questions about his size coming out of college because he is a small guy for a defensive end. And, boy, did he answer every question that was ever made about him. That just He's one of those defensive players, like Von Miller in today's NFL, that if you don't defend if – you, if your offense doesn't game plan for how am I going to block this guy in every play, he is going to beat you. And that was great for me his whole career. All right. So, 
I agree with that. I'm sure Steve agrees with that. We're running a little short on time. I'm going to run you through the next 11 guys because there's no chance anyone disagrees with any of these, okay? Ben Roethlisberger, give me a yes or a yes. <laughs> it's a yes. Uh, Antonio Gates, Hall of Famer. Larry Fitzgerald at number nine, Hall of Famer. Number eight, Jason Witten. I don't know. I'm not so sure. Maybe he is. Maybe he's not. He's definitely a Hall of Famer. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> number seven, Julius Peppers. He's a for sure Hall of Famer. Adrian Peterson's at number six. Uh, number five is Drew Brees. Uh, number four, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, okay. He's probably okay. He'll probably get it. Number three, J.J. Watt. I mean, you would say maybe it's a little too soon, but he has been the defensive player of the year three times. So uh, I don't know how you argue against that. Number two, offensive tackle Joe Thomas. I want to give Mr. Harris Amadzai, who we often give a lot of shit to, uh, major props for recognizing the greatness of offensive tackle Joe Thomas. And then number one, believe it or not, is some guy named Tim. Oh, Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Sound right? <laughs> He's Does that sound right? The, right. The curiosity of Brady is how many years ago was he actually a Hall of Famer? Like, how I'd many say five. Years of the, could you have cut off and been like, yep, he was still a definite first ballot, no doubter? He, he could have retired when he was 30 years old and been a Hall of Famer. Well, I would certainly say 35. I, I, in, in 2012, if he, that was his last season, he'd be in the Hall of Fame this year. He would have just gone in. He would have gone in this year. Guaranteed. Oh, okay. All right. The only guy of all of those that you could make any argument against would be J.J. Watt. So I'll make the argument for Watt. And that, although his career has not been long, I talked about this with some of the other guys. Can you point to him being the best player in his position? Yes. And Three defensive player of the year awards. For multiple seasons, J.J. Watt, best player at his position, carries that defense, absolutely. So he's the only guy I think you could even make an argument against, and to me, it's, it wouldn't be a great argument. Yeah, and not just best, best player at his position, best player on his side of the ball. Um, all right, so we're right. going to take a break. We're running a little short on time, so we've got our preview to do. So I'm going to play one more song right now. This is the uh, probably the most famous song by Faith No More. Uh, again, it's off the Who Cares A Lot album. This is epic. You know this tune. Everybody knows this tune. Don't 
was just this haunting piano melody at the end of the song. Uh, it's epic. It is the song that made Faith No More mildly famous. We're back on Sports and Beer with Fred. Uh, so you guys, of course, that's the song that you guys both know for sure, yeah? Yep, I've heard that one. <laughs> okay, thank you. I was like, uh, is anybody home? <laughs> so kind of one of those... Since Go ahead. sports show, I should, should mention what I think is probably the coolest sports story of the day. Uh, today, the record for the biggest victory over the point spread in college football history happened. Cam Newton's little brother plays for yep. Howard University, and they were 43-point dogs, or 45-point dogs to UNLV. Uh, Howard's an FCS school, and they beat them 43-40. to 40. If you bet $100 on Howard University before the game, you would have won $60,000. Yes. Also today, Liberty University, which is not an FCS school, but is a very low-level Division I school, for the first time in their history, defeated a Power 5 school when they beat Baylor 48-45 to in Waco. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Bunch of good games today, really, in college football. Texas lost at home to Maryland, 51-41. Yes. Um, ate the big game yeah. of the day, Alabama. They turned out to not be so entertaining, Alabama. Well, unless you're an Alabama fan. Um, yeah, I mean, first half was competitive, but at the end of the the big thing out of there, uh, the quarterback, Francois, for Florida State, hurt his knee. It, it doesn't look good. And the other game, Michigan-Florida, Michigan, Michigan kind of said, hey, you know, I don't know if it's Florida's kind of bad. Or, I mean, they were missing 10 players from suspension, but their offense was not very good. Their offense has not been very good uh, in recent memory. The last few years, they've not been great. Yes. Um, so, um, the next yeah. most interesting sports story to me, uh, did you read the thing about the Ball family? Now, I hate to give LeVar Ball any any airtime ever at all. About LaMelo possibly already being ineligible to play in college basketball because of the goddamn shoe his father is, is uh, putting out with his name on it? Yep. Okay. Can you yes, imagine, like, just sabotaging your child? Like, this this guy living vicariously through his kids, you're sabotaging these talented young men. It's so awful. Yeah, he's the, the first ever high school player to have his own signature shoe. Well, great. Good job. All right. Okay, here we go. We just talked a little bit about college football. It's now time to talk about NFL football. So over the last couple of shows, we previewed the NFC. The NFC we previewed the AFC. Uh, now we're going to talk about the postseason awards and the playoffs preview, who we think is going to win the divisions, the conferences, and the Super Bowl. We'll start with our awards for the 2017 NFL season. Uh, Steve, give me your, your prediction for MVP this year. Uh, Hello, Steve. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I right, said I Steve. You. Oh, okay. Damn it! It's uh, Derek! His name is Derek! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, if David Carr wins it, it's going to be crazy because he's going to have to come out of retirement to do it. I'm going to go put money on David Carr to win. I bet I can get really good Dude, odds. It's probably better than the odds for Howard. 
Honestly. Yeah, obviously. All right, so you got you got Derek Carr. Steve, who do you like? You and nice. Yeah. You know, besides the obvious, I mean, you know, the obvious contenders, Brady, Rogers, or whatever. I mean, uh, you know, Carr looks good. I mean, shoots. I mean, I I like maybe the idea of a defensive player, Khalil Mack, okay. maybe. Okay. I mean, also a Raider. He might not. I mean, yeah, he might not be the best player, you know, uh, on the field on his team. You know, but yeah. True. True. Okay. So yeah. Uh, I mean, all right. Raider team. I mean, Khalil Mack, JJ Watt, one of those guys. I don't know. I mean, definitely Mack okay. because they got a better chance, I guess, to uh, you know uh, make a longer run to the postseason. Yeah, I, that JJ Watt thing though, I think with the sentimentality of what he's done with Houston, that could be he could be a sentimental pick if he plays anywhere near uh, well enough. That could be you might be onto something there. Uh, we may be giving away uh, some of our playoff predictions here, but I am also going to take Derek Watt. Uh, Derek Watt, <laughs> damn you, Mike. Derek Carr uh, as my MVP. What? <laughs> Derek Carr is my MVP. Uh, I think we are all pretty high on the Raiders this year. At least, uh, well, I mean, Mike, I, Mike picked the same guy as me, and you picked the guy on the other side of the ball. So I don't know. All right, so uh, let's go offensive player of the year. Uh, we'll start with Steve on this one. Steve, your offensive player of the year. Because I, I'll put out a dark horse in this. I mean, you know, it's just. I mean, you got the obvious pick, but. Uh, you know, Marcus Mariota, I mean, stays healthy with the weapons that he has, you know, um, the weapons on the running game, um, definitely the the weapons that they had in the passing game. I, I, I'll put him up there. Okay. Tom, isn't the offensive the isn't there one for each conference or no? No. Really? That's correct. You know, who I, you know who I can see winning this award this year is uh, Jameis Winston. Okay. I think you're you're pretty safe with this award picking a quarterback generally because I think they do win it the majority of the time. No. Um, um, well, I don't know. Usually, what happens, Mike, is the quarterback will, a quarterback will win the MVP and they'll give uh, a running back or a wide receiver the offensive player of the year award. Okay. Uh, to to this point, last year the the MVP was who? Matt Ryan, just in case that we lost. And then the offensive, yeah, okay. And the offensive player of the year was Ezekiel Elliott. That's right. And then the rookie of the year was Prescott. That's that's how they broke that down. That's correct. And two years ago, the offensive player of the year was Demarco Murray. I can't remember who it was in 2015, but by the end of the season, I was just drained with all the losses. So I don't know. Uh, so your offensive player of the year is Jameis Winston. Steve's got Marcus Mariota. Now, that's not to say that a quarterback can't win that award, even though another, a different quarterback may have won uh, the MVP. Uh, in Steve's scenario, he's got a defensive player win the MVP, so it makes sense that Mariota could win the, uh, the offensive player of the year. I am going to go running back, and I'm going to go on a repeat. Zeke again. All right. I so think I will – go I ahead. Zeke would, I think if Zeke had the kind of season – that led him to be the offensive player of the year again, he would win the MVP. Possible. I, I can see that argument. Okay. Defensive player of the year, I'll start off. I'm going to go with J.J. Watt for my, for my defensive player of the year. And then we'll go to Steve, where he can finish up his thought and then give his defensive player of the year. 
I, I, I would think that, I mean, if Khalil Mack won the MVP, then, um, I mean, is there anything against him, you know, winning multiple awards? Don't they don't so, generally. Right? I would say no. I, now, th- there's nothing specifically uh, in the rules written that he can't win both. They generally try to not do that. But in 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 your scenario, if a defensive player wins MVP of the MVP, it's kind of hard to say that he wasn't the you know uh, defensive player of the year. So I, I think you're right. And and Mike, give me what's your defensive player of the year? Boy, I I think it's hard for Watt has not stayed healthy. But yep. the other guy, other end of that line. Uh, Ooh. Ooh. There's, there's just something tells me that this is his year to break out. That he's going to continue that upward curve of his career, and he's going to just amaze everybody this year. Because so I think talent-wise, uh, Jadavian Clowney is a okay. guy who has all the talent and all the ability, and this is the year he puts it all together and just has an amazing season. So I'm, I think he's going to have that type of year this year. I like it. Um, okay, Mike, staying right with you. Give me offensive rookie of the year. Oh boy, um, tough oh, one. It, it really back, is. The running back for Kansas City, um, Kamir Hunt. Oh, Kareem Hunt. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, okay. I, I think that he's in a so Kansas City. First of all, they feature the run. Um, yes. Second of all, they always also back. So the kid's going to get his opportunity. Spencer wears hurt, so he's going to get even more opportunities. And when you got a guy getting drafted out of Toledo, you know he's something special. Uh, yep. <laughs> no, I, I agree. All right. So, uh, uh, Steve, offensive. Let's go. We'll move on to Steve. That's a good pick. I like that a lot, actually. Uh, Steve, who's your offensive rookie of the year? You know, I mean, this is somebody that you know that I've been high on. I mean, shoots, um, you know, throughout, like, our fantasy draft and so forth. I mean, um, I just feel that this guy here, you know, besides, you know, besides the obvious, I think they're going to use him, uh, you know, as more of a hybrid a wide receiver, um, you know, and tight end. I think O.J. Howard is the guy. Okay. Yeah, Steve's very, very high on O.J. Howard this year uh, with Jameis down there. So that would kind of – you get your offensive player of the year, Mike. Steve gets O.J. Howard as his offensive rookie of the year. Um, I, I like both of those picks a lot, actually. Uh, I am going to go uh, with a running back. I'm going to go with Dalvin Cook in Minnesota. I think he's going to have a really nice year, and he could be your offensive rookie of the year. Uh, Steve, who's your defensive rookie of the year? Um, gee, I mean, I haven't really even, uh, I mean, I admit, I, I, I can't name one. Okay. You know, I mean, That's just, fine. Uh, so remind Steve me who's staying. Uh, well, the number one overall pick was Miles Garrett. He's a defensive that, end. That, that's that? where I was going to go. That's yeah, you're both. Gonna go. There's a reason he was the consensus number one pick in the draft and, and everyone thought it was a great pick and um, the Browns certainly need the help on the defensive side of the ball that it's going to give him an opportunity to make a lot of tackles and he's going to be able to compile some statistics so I like that and I like um, I, I think you've got it's a little bit between him and Barnett for the Eagles I think Barnett for the Eagles also um, has a really good chance I think he's really talented and I think he's another guy that that you could see at the end of the year going, man. Um, well, why didn't they just let me, let me 
let me interject. I mean, you know, it's like it's, Garrett. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, the, I thought I am, but it's just, I mean, it's with the Browns, I mean, it's just, you know. Yeah. But I just one thought in mind though is Jalen Smith eligible, right? No, he is not. No, last year was his rookie year. That's not the way it works in the in the NFL. He will never be eligible for rookie of the year. Right. Um, although that that would be a really nice pick, uh, Miles Garrett. I like your your pick, Mike um, of, of Barnett. But the one thing I think that's going to maybe hinder him, he has to play four of his games against two of the better left tackles in the league, in Tyron Smith and Trent Williams. Uh, so that that's going to be a little bit of a hindrance to him, but I don't think that's that's something he can't under, overcome. He is a very good player in college. I think he has potential in the in the NFL. My defensive rookie of the year is a Browns player. It's not Miles Garrett. It's Jabril Peppers. Um, okay, uh, coach of the year. But this is like the toughest one, right? So you basically got to pick somebody who's going to do an excellent job with his roster. Um, maybe out of nowhere. Uh, uh, boy, oh boy. It's like, who do you think is going to be the surprise team of the year, basically, is what this is. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, – I'll go with Dirk Cutter in Tampa Bay because I think Tampa's going to have a good year. Go ahead, Steve. Give me your coach of the year. Um, one thing that I've kind of been high on, I mean, it's just definitely on the defensive side of the ball. I don't think they're going to – I mean, just we got to wait and see what they do on offense. But I think Andy Reid. Okay. You know? I like that. He's a perennial candidate for Coach of the Year. He's always one of the better coaches in the league. That's a great choice. Uh, Mike, who's your Coach of the Year? I got Mike Malarkey. Nice. I in in that, Tennessee. I, I think the Tennessee Titans have been on a nice upswing. I think they got a ton of nice young talent. I agree with Steve's pick earlier that Mariota is going to have a great season. I really think Mariota is going to have a great season. And yes. I think at the end of the year they're like 10-6, and 11-5, something like that. I think they play in mm-hmm winnable division and I think if you take Tennessee from what they have been you know three four years ago where they're winning two games and and you bring them to the point where you're winning your division and and getting you know a high seed in the playoffs I think he's got a really good shot to win it so I like more I I think that would also give their um, GM who I can't think of the name of off the top of my head I think that would give him the inside track on executive of the year as well which I didn't even put that on here because it's kind of a stupid award um, the only other guy I, I would make a case for in this in all this is Jack Del Rio but I think the Raiders got to go like 14 and 2 for him to win that award uh, all right you know, so you know, that's uh, go ahead Tom the guy yeah. I thought had a chance is Ron Rivera that we didn't mention because I almost I really said him too yeah, the, the Panthers, I think they're a lot better than what you saw last year, but I think people have a short memory, and I think what you'll see is, you know, that 7-9 and nine team has a good chance to come back and be more what we thought they might be last year and be 11-5 and five or 12-4, and four. and yeah. if they are, then Rivera's a clear-cut choice, so. Yeah, I think he could he could be in the mix for that too. All right, uh, that's good. We kind of did that pretty quickly so we can get into the playoffs preview uh, in the next segment uh with, with some time to, to delve into it. So let's do that. Let's take a break. Uh, we'll come back after the break um, with more of our playoff preview for the 2017 NFL season. I'm going to leave you for the, This is going to be another uh, Faith No More song. This is uh, originally released on their album Angel Dust. It's a small victory is the name of the song. A small victory is the name of the song. Uh, it's a really great song, one of my favorite Faith No More songs. I hope you guys enjoy it as well. Uh, just to let uh, Mike and Steve know, this is about a five-minute tune. All right, guys, we'll see you on the other side on Sports and Beer with Friends.
All right, Faith Billboard's small, a small victory, sorry, off of Angel Dust. Uh, Follow-up album to The Real Thing had a lot of really cool songs on it. Um, check it out. Yeah, I think you'd like it, uh, but we're featuring the Greatest Hits Package. Who cares a lot? So, guys, did you like that tune? Yeah, that was great. All right, whatever, you don't care. Uh, all right, whatever. We'll just delve into the NFL. That's fine. I'm just trying to enlighten you, broaden your horizons, a little melodic. Uh, they're just the reason why I like that band so much is they're unique. They're not like anything else that you were hearing then, or even that you're hearing now. So that's why I like them a lot. All right. So our playoff previews. Uh, we've gone down. We've we've kind of broken down each conference a little bit. What we think might happen. So uh, we'll just dive right into it. Let's start off with the uh, easiest division to call. I think the AFC East. Mike, who's your division champ? Oh, God, it's got to be the Dolphins, right? Yes. Good call, Mike. No, you're clearly like being it. facetious. <laughs> Steve loves it, as a matter of fact. As a matter of fact, um, I, I think barring catastrophic injuries to several players, I think the Patriots still have to be your prohibitive favorite uh, for the division, possibly the conference, and even more, more likely the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm sure that's where you're going with that, right, Mike? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard. Look, unless you just want to be a contrarian and play devil's advocate, you really kind of can't not pick the Patriots here. Because Mm -hmm. now I'm going to knock on every conceivable piece of wood in my close area here. It's a lot of wood. I've been to your house. If Tom Brady were to get hurt. Right. Garoppolo is still the best quarterback in the division. I mean, so if you're just looking at even if they had to limp to a nine and seven finish, they still are probably the best team in this division. So yeah, Patriots win the East. Okay. Uh, Steve. No argument from me, I guess, you know, I mean, most NFL teams, I mean, their best receiver, you know, uh, suffers a season ending, you know, injury. I mean, you know, definitely, I mean, it would, it would, it would take them out of, you know, take them out of contention, but I mean, it's just, I mean, they, they just got too much. Yeah, no. for sure. And then today they traded uh, their third-string quarterback, Jacoby Brissett, to the Colts for uh, Philip Dorsett, former first-round pick, uh, wide receiver. All right. So the I also agree. For him, Tom, to get a receiver. They traded for him to get a kick returner because they also yes. lost their kick returner. They lost Edelman and their other kick returner, both to injury for the season. So they got yes. him to return a kick. All right, well, there you go. That's fine. And that's important, to, especially to Belichick, former special teams coordinator. All right, so uh, move to the AFC South, um, division that has been kind of bad over the last couple of years with the Jags and the Titans and the Colts and the Texans and, you know, some bad quarterback play, bad rosters. Uh, but I think, you know, last year Mike and I were both kind of really high on the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I'm not making that goddamn mistake again because – Blake Bortles is still the stupid friggin' quarterback there. I'm picking the Titans. The Titans are winning this division. Steve. Uh, you know, the Titans look great. They they look great on offense. Um, but you know, it's, uh, Houston just has such a good defense. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just you know. But I, I think yes, I, I think the Titans though. I mean, it's just you know, it, it's a wait and see thing as far as with what Houston will put on the offensive side of the ball, so I got to go with the Titans. Okay. Mike, uh, do you agree or disagree with that? You got another team, or are you going with the Titans? I actually think it's the Texans, um, I, and I really like the Titans, and so I don't, you know, want to poo-poo on your guys' picks. I think the Texans have the best defense in the league, and I think 
that you're going to see that Deshaun Watson, if he isn't starting week one, he's starting by week three or four. And I think Deshaun Watson's the best quarterback that the Texans have had in a really long time, if not ever in their franchise history. And the rest of their talent is really good on offense. They have Lamar Miller. They have Hopkins. They've got players on offense. They just haven't. CJ Fedorowicz is actually a. Yeah. 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 Fedorowicz is a good tight end too. I mean, they have talent on offense. Uh, It's just, they haven't had anybody to spread the ball around. I think that their defense can probably win them six games, even if they don't have an offense. And so their offense just has to be, you know, pedestrian, and they can okay. 11 games. All right, so are we all in agreement that the Steelers win the AFC North? Yes. Okay, thank <laughs> you. Anyone? It's hard to argue. It's hard to argue. Yeah, I mean – I don't think I don't think that I think I don't think the Bengals are very good. I I mean they're okay. I mean I think the Ravens had a chance to be okay, but I they've already got ten guys on injured reserve. It's ridiculous. Um, AFC West. I I mean, is it, I mean I'm going to go with the Raiders. Mike, who do you have? Uh, I hate to just keep agreeing with everyone, which is really why I picked the Texans. Um, right. <laughs> I wanted to pick the Titans, goddammit. <laughs> I mean, I like the Raiders, too, and I like the Raiders a lot. I think talent-wise, they're just – they might be the most talented team as far as high-end talent in the whole league. I mean, you look at their – everything is good, you know. They didn't yeah. put it together on defense here. You know, their defense was was not great, but it wasn't right. due to lack of – you know. Talent, right? They, they, they've got they've got some defensive work to do. Yeah, another year together though really can. I think you're going to find that they're awfully good this season. Yeah, they, you know, Steve, you... with that front, the front line of you know Edwards and Khalil Mack and Ward. I mean, Justin Ellis. It's like it's not that they lack talent. They got the guys to get pressure on your quarterback rushing four, and then just play coverage. Um, and if they can just put that together they have the people there to make it happen. Correct. All right, Steve, do you agree with that, or do you like Kansas City? No, I still, you know, it's, it's kind of the same situation as with the AFC South. I mean, it's just, you know, um, Kansas City, their, their defense, I mean, arguably, uh, you know, I think they're probably, you know, the best defense uh, in the AFC West. And, um, you know, but you just got to go with the total package. I mean, it's hard to argue that the Raiders have the best offense in that, uh, you know, um, yeah, in that division. For sure. So I got to Raiders. All right. So that's, so we've got, uh, I think we got the Patriots, uh, the Titans uh, by consensus over the Texans, the Steelers and the Raiders. I'm going to take uh, Kansas City and Miami as my wild card. Steve, who are yours? Um, I got, uh, I mean, you know, as a Miami fan, I mean, it pains me for me to say this, but I, I, I got Kansas City as a wild card, and I think I got Houston, Houston as okay. a second wild card. All right, no, you can certainly make the case for sure, uh, Mike. Your wild card teams from the AFC. Well, then, based on everything we just talked about, you got to think. I, I mean, the Titans and the Chiefs are the two best teams that I didn't mention as division winners. So, okay, um, I think it's them. 
All right, so uh, going, we'll start the opposite direction in the NFC. Uh, I'll go to the NFC West, and I'll start. I think it's going to be the Seattle Seahawks out there. I just don't like the other three teams as much. I think Arizona is starting to decline due to a lot of age. Um, I think they can be a really good defense. I don't know how good their offense is going to be. Mike, who do you like out, out West in the NFC? I think this is the year the Seahawks fall back to the pack. I like the Cardinals. Okay. Uh, I can see where you're coming from, though, because they were really good a couple years ago and kind of did fall off some last year. I mean, I can see where you're coming from. Um, Okay. That's fine. And and Carson, it's a Carson Palmer injury thing, too, and I just don't trust him to stay healthy all year. He's getting older and older. Uh, Steve, your your opinion's out west. Um, Yeah, I got to go with the Seahawks. Um, You know, it's a... Remember, like, I guess it was last season, we had some questions about, like, you know, how, you know, Seattle's view was going to be. And, I mean, I just think, I mean, the other teams are just so terrible in the division. I mean, yeah. if um, if you're looking at, I mean, Arizona being, like, I guess, you know, um, the second best team, I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, uh, hard to argue with Seattle. Okay. I think, I mean, so you're, you're going to see Wilson, you know, Russell Wilson just put up a, I think he's, you know, I think he's going to have a great year. Cool. All right, uh, give me your picks for the NFC North then. Steve, no, you, Steve. I like, I like, the, uh, I, like, I like the Packers. I mean, with, with Rodgers there, I mean, it's just, you know, um, although, I mean, I, they really haven't done anything um, as far as adding, you know, um, another runner. I mean, you still got Ty Montgomery there, but I just think Rogers just too good. You know? Okay, um, Mike. On the defensive side, I mean, you really don't have to. I mean, you know, they'll show up, but right. who else is there? I mean, just, yeah, yeah. The other teams I feel just like far down. Steve, I feel like the Packers' problem is that their front office thinks the same as you, and so they keep they keep trying to ride this Aaron Rodgers train, and they're not doing enough to give him the help. And they've mm-hmm. sort of wasted the prime of this. Like, this is – I've stated this opinion before. I really do – you know, I love Tom Brady. But on pure talent, Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback I've ever seen as far as just the quarterback's ability, nothing else. He's the best I've ever seen. And well, he's, he's, he's a great – he's great at improvisation too, though. So he's got all these great skills, plus he's a great improviser. He's very creative. He can make something out of nothing. But, yeah, go ahead, Mike. Being, I don't think that they've given him what he's needed to be truly successful, and I think the Lions are the team that's going to win this division this year. Because okay. I think they uh, are doing the things roster-wise to give Stafford the help he needs to be successful. See, I, I agree with you. To I think to a point – the front office in Green Bay is just like, this division is ours. We own it. We don't need to be that much better to win it every year. Um, I would disagree in the fact I don't think it'll be the Lions that gives them a little run. I think it's going to be Minnesota this year, despite Bradford, which who I really do not like Sam Bradford at all as a football player. I mean, I'm sure he's a fine human being, whatever. I'm sure he's a very nice guy, whatever. Uh, he's not a very good quarterback, so I don't like him that much. But I, I, at the end of the day, I think Green Bay squeaks it out, just like they kind of always do at the end. Um, all right, NFC South. Um, I'll start. Well, Mike, go ahead. You start. NFC South. This is one of the most intriguing divisions in football, in my opinion. Agreed. Because you have Falcons, 
coming off the Super Bowl, and the Falcons were really, really, really good this last year, and they were really, really good for about 2.8 quarters of the Super Bowl as well. Um, <laughs> you have the Panthers, who were 15-1 and one two years ago. you got the Saints, who have Drew Brees, who are always a threat to steal some games, although the rest of their roster is a dumpster fire, so I don't think the Saints have a chance to win it. And you've got the Buccaneers, who are this up-and-coming young team with a young quarterback who shows a ton of promise, might be the best receiving core in the NFL. Their receivers are ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going that direction. I say, yeah. yeah I know so, you've I'm vacillated so on this. I'm so torn. I'm so torn. You want to you know, pick if, Carolina. If I had to put money on it, if I had to put money on it, I'd say Carolina. Okay, so that's your pick. All right, Steve. Yeah. I think we just, I mean, you know, going back a few episodes, I mean, it's just, I, I think I, you know, my my pick was Tampa Bay on this, and I really, really, really like them. I just don't know what you know what they're doing on defense, but I just I think Carolina got you know I think they got what it takes. You know, yeah. I mean, obvious pick would be you know Atlanta just because I mean they're good on both sides of the ball, but you know I think Newton you know just turns turns things things around on offense. Um, you know they they've added weapons obviously on you know on that side with. Uh, with McCaffrey mm-hmm. and so forth, um, you know I think Benjamin has a good, you know, uh, you know has has a way better year than he did last year, and yeah, certainly yeah. I think you know I, I got to go with Carolina. Yeah, I'm high on I Benjamin too. Healthy. But I think, and I think if you're going to look, experience is going to favor Carolina and Atlanta uh, in this. I, I just, I, I really like what Tampa's doing. I think this could be the year that they turn it on and win this division. Like. A, Cutter to be coach of the year. Part of it's going to be because I think Tampa is going to go about twelve and four. All right, um, for me, my wild card teams are going to be Atlanta. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's let's do the NFC East. I mean, not not that it's a foregone conclusion or anything. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and pick the Dallas Cowboys. Anybody else? You got agreement with me there, and just I mean, just yeah. I think they're good. They're good for it. All right, all right, Mike. It's they're hard to pick against in this division. Um, the NFC East is an enigma because these four teams, when they play each other, yep, you know, all bets are off. They really are. Um, year in year out, these teams beat up each other, and and you get some unexpected results generally when the four teams line up. That being said, I think the Cowboys just they can just line up that great offensive line and Dak and Ezekiel Elliott and just beat you up and. It's going to be hard for them to not win 10 or more games this season just by yep. lining up and beating you up. And they have some depth that allows them, even if they're – look, no one can lose their starting quarterback, basically. So I'm right. not going to say they could lose. But if Elliott doesn't play, they got good backup running backs. I mean, and they can line up behind that offensive line and be effective. Absolutely. Um, so they have more depth, more – survivability than the rest of their division and I just think they're the best team roster wise in the division so I, I gotta take the Cowboys Alright so my, my uh, wild cards like I was gonna say Atlanta and Minnesota Steve your wild cards quickly <laughs> I mean might might not be uh, you know plausible to most but I think the wild cards come out of the same division really I mean okay. just you know if I'm, if I'm picking Carolina um, you know, to uh, to to win their division, and I think uh, you know Atlanta and uh, Tampa 
Okay, they, they, that's feasible. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, same thing, quickly. Atlanta and Seattle. Okay, I like it. Good. All right, so into the playoffs. Uh, I just want to get your championship matchups. Uh, Mike, give me your AFC championship matchup and your NFC championship matchup. I think there's a really good chance we get the Patriots and the Steelers in the AFC, and there's a really good chance. I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb in the NFC and go with the Carolina Panthers and the Detroit Lions in the NFC title game. Okay. Steve? Um, AFC, I got uh, the uh, Raiders and uh, and New England. And in the NFC, I got the Packers and uh, um, and Dallas. Okay. Uh, I agree with you that with the Packers and Dallas. I think that's going to be your NFC championship game. I'm going to pick the Steelers and the Raiders in the AFC championship game. Uh, Steve, who's your Super Bowl? And, and winner. Give me your Super Bowl matchup and your winner. I think in the Super Bowl, I mean, it's like, uh, I, I think I got New England on one thing, you know, on the FC and on the NFC, I got Dallas. Okay. New uh, England and Dallas, with, who wins? Uh, with just the edge on, uh, you know, on experience on both the, you know, uh, not on the, not only on the player's side, but on the coach's coaching end, New England wins it. Okay. And, and Mike? God bless you, Steve. So I'm not going to pick that just because I didn't pick it last year and they want to go with, you know. It, look, in my heart of hearts, you're stupid to pick against the Patriots because they've won so many Super Bowls and they've gotten to others. And just it's sort of a law of averages thing where you look at it and go, I'm making a pick before the season starts. Why wouldn't I pick the team that gets there most often? But because I don't want to jinx my team, I'm going to pick the Panthers and the Steelers with the Steelers winning the Super Bowl. Okay, I like it. Uh, I am going to go with uh, what will be the most common Super Bowl matchup in history when this happens. It will be Dallas and Pittsburgh with Dallas evening the series, Dallas winning the Super Bowl against the Pittsburgh Steelers in dramatic fashion, much like the game that was played last year at Heinz Field. Uh, I know you guys are all shocked that I picked Dallas. I think I picked Dallas every year, so that's fine. That game was one of the best games of the year last year. If no, if people don't remember it, it was really, really good. Yeah, if you get that game in the Super Bowl, man, would you be excited? I mean, they won it on a 30-yard Ezekiel Elliott run with nine seconds remaining. Wasn't that the game where Roethlisberger faked the spike and then threw the touchdown yes. in the corner, and Dallas came back with like 40 seconds left and won the game? Yes, it was, yeah. and they ran the ball. Uh, from the 30 and ran it in because Zeke was yep. – Zeke Elliott had over 200 yards from scrimmage that day. Yeah. Of course, he wasn't the MVP of the league, but I mean, that's cool. Whatever. It's all right. Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan was a deserving MVP. Uh, no, I, I agree. I'm not I'm, – I'm just being – I'm being facetious. It, it, it's okay that Zeke was just the offensive player of the year. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, I want to thank uh, everybody, all you guys out there for listening, whether you're listening live or you're listening later this week. We hope you're having fun. By the next time we talk to you, we are going to be in in football season, guys. The regular season is going to start. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait. I'm making chili next Sunday. Who's coming over? See you Sunday. (laughs) Sounds good, right? Okay, so uh, again, I want to thank – 
my co-hosts, Mike and Steve, these guys are great. They come in and they deal with technical issues and, and my nonsense uh, every week. So thank you guys for coming in. Make sure you follow Mike at Mastrolio123. Follow Steve on Instagram at SteveCore. Follow me on Twitter at DuckmanForReal. Uh, also, follow the show at Sports Beer Show. You can email the show, sportsbeershow at gmail.com. Uh, we encourage you to do so. We'd love to hear your ideas, your thoughts. Tell us how awful we are. I don't care. I'm drunk. Uh, so, anyway, I'm going to leave you with one last song by Faith No More. This is also off of their uh, greatest hits package, a whole, uh, sorry, Who Cares a Lot. Uh, it's a song that they covered. Uh, it was originally recorded by the Commodores in the 70s. It is uh, their version of Easy, so we'll play that in just a second. Just let Mike and Steve get a quick goodbye going. Uh, Steve, say goodbye to everybody. Good night, everyone. (laughs) Okay, all right, and Mike. (laughs) I enjoyed the show today. Thanks for for coming out and listening to us. We appreciate it, and uh, go Patriots. All right, and go Cowboys, and I'm sure Steve would like to give you a nice go Dolphins. All right, uh, it's Easy. Uh, this is Faith No More's version of the Commodore song, Easy. I hope you love it. It's great. See you next week, guys, on Sports and Beer with Friends. No, it sounds funny, but I just can't stand the pain. I'm leaving you tomorrow Seems to me, girl, you know I've done all I can You see a big store on the barrel Yeah Ooh, It's why me Oh